So, Matt, have you heard about the population of Ireland? Uh, well, no. It's Dublin. <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody. Matt, how are you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm exhausted from the holidays, but because we're recording this right after the holidays, but we had to do the, you know, you take down the fall decorations, put up the Christmas decorations because it's now legally time that you can do that. If you've had it up before Thanksgiving, you're breaking the law. Um, you have to wait till after Thanksgiving to put up Christmas decorations. I mean, it should be illegal at least, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we did all that got the, went and bought the tree and everything. So I'm tired, but <laughs> house looks like Christmas. Oh now, though. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, I put up the tree on Friday. Kids decorated it a day later and, uh, yeah, I'm I'm worn out. It's not even Christmas yet. <laughs> right. Well, we're to the point, though, now where it's like you're just ready for Christmas to get here so that you can enjoy the fruits of all this labor. Does Elf on the Shelf come to your house? Yes, he does. Um, yeah, he comes to he's been coming to mine for quite some time. Yep. He, he comes here and uh, actually a couple nights ago. He wedged himself in a jar and farted in the jar and left a note from Michael <laughs> that said, I farted in here, smell it. And when you open it, for some reason, elf farts smell like peppermint. I don't know. That's weird. Uh, I wish mine smelled like peppermint. Oh, ours is not that, uh, that crass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's been, uh, he might be this year though. Yeah. He, I don't know. He's. He's got he's gotten used to coming here. He might be a little uh, crass, but anyway, that's it. We, Once they we get digress. used to it, you know. All right, so uh, real quick, everybody, go check out Podbelly Network, uh, Podbelly We've mentioned it a lot now, but we're new members of the Podbelly Network, and we love it. Um, go to Podbelly to get information about how to start a podcast if you want to, and to find a bunch of different podcasts in different genres that you might not find otherwise. Um, the Sofa King Podcast, Lost Boys of Hannibal, and Just the Worst Podcast are all on the Podbelly Network. So go check them out if you have not yet. Like we do every year, we are doing our listener stories for Christmas. So we need you to send us your stories. Now, keep in mind, it can be a legitimate thing that happened to you, or it can be something, you know, one of your favorite, like, made-up stories. Um, but remember, we can't read a novel. Uh, we've got, we do have a time frame. Y'all have to listen to Matt and I talk enough, so we don't need to extend it to a four-hour episode. Um, right. And 
please in the email title it holiday episode christmas episode something like that so that we can find it easier and give us permission you know in the email to either use your name or not um and just send us your story you can email it to us uh, graveyard tales podcast at gmail.com go to the website and enter it or hit us up on facebook uh however you want to do it but send those in we got to have those in by december 15th to be able to get it out for the christmas episode right and this is bringing back the tradition of telling ghost stories at christmas you know around the fire on christmas eve you know sharing ghost stories uh has been a an old victorian tradition and adam and i are doing our best to bring it back so send us those stories like i said uh fictional true doesn't matter if you've got a good story send it in absolutely and uh, you know if if you want to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about if you haven't go back and listen to some of the other holiday episodes we've put out and you know one year we had you send in your recordings of it so one year you'll hear people telling their own story and another year matt and i did it we're going to matt and i are going to read it out this year so just type it out and send it to us yeah um so one thing i wanted to push real quick before we get into the episode is hell year two now y'all probably remember when hell year first came out i was raving about it and i told y'all to go watch it if you haven't i don't know what's wrong with you um uh, if you haven't go watch it because hell year two just came out the day after thanksgiving here in the u.s um and it is phenomenal um if you liked the first hell year you'll love this one uh, Matt and I were fortunate enough to get early uh, watch on some of the episodes, and it just blew my mind what they were able to uncover and find this time. So definitely go check out Hellier 2. You can find it on Amazon Video. Just type in Hellier. Be sure to watch the first one before the second one if you haven't. Um, but do that, and then hit us up and let us know what you thought of it because it's – I mean, it ties into so much that Matt and I talk about, but also not. It's hard to explain. Um, just go check it out. I promise you, you'll like it. So that's my recommendation for this week, Matt. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. W- yeah. Why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight, Adam and I are going to take a look at one of the most intriguing and enigmatic figures of the early, early 20th century. A self-proclaimed magician... He scoffed at traditional society, and he sought out knowledge to learn the true nature of the human existence through rituals and the occult. By some, he's been called a visionary, a prophet, a teacher, but others called him a misogynist, a sex addict, and a self-absorbed egomaniac. But who was this man that would seek to summon demons, yet be credited as the founder of religion, this man, who would be called the wickedest man in the world. Join us tonight as we discuss Aleister Crowley. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> man, he is such a character. Oh, I know. And I'm, he's come up so often in so many of our episodes and... Every time Matt and I are like, we're going to do an episode on him one day. We're going to do an episode on him one day. And when we were looking at this episode to, 
you know, what, what were we going to do for this week? Um, Matt brought up Alistair Crowley, and we were both like, yeah, you know, it's probably about time we did that because he's, he's yeah. poked his head into so much that we've done. And so instead of just giving you just a, a biography lesson about his life and, you know, all this stuff, we're, we're going to try we to do. mix I mean, in. What's that? We could do that. I mean, that, that's we could. Uh, that's history, and we could sit here and do it for hours. Yeah, I mean, we really could, but we want to give you a little bit of his of his life history, but we really want to get into more of what he was all about and, and the 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 teachings, you know, some of the writings that he did, where his focus was, what his purpose was. And and some of the strange things that he was associated with, and that that happened uh, after his death, because he he was really influential. And and I'm not talking about a bunch of just loonies just following somebody, just looking for somebody new to follow. I mean, these were intelligent, sometimes high ranking, yeah, affluent people. Yes, yes, that that bought in to what what Crowley was preaching, and uh, it's 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 pretty amazing, you know that um, that he was he he was able to do this and you know continue to influence people and their philosophy on life and you know the spiritual realm and the universe and everything. So yeah, so Adam Adam, let tell us a little bit about you know. Uh, Crowley's beginnings. All right. I can do that. So the U.S. Grand Lodge has a lot of good information on Crowley if you're interested in diving a little deeper than what we do tonight. And that's where I got some of this information from. Edward Alexander Crowley was born in Leamington Spa in 1875. He was educated at Malvern and Trinity College, Cambridge, where he changed his name to Alistair. Now, he was a lyric and dramatic poet with several dozen books to his credit, including a collaboration with August Roden. Um, he was, he is anthologized in the Oxford book of English mystical verse. Now Crowley was a natural polymath and he made a name for himself as a poet, a novelist, journalist, a mountaineer, explorer, chess player, graphic designer, drug, drug experimenter, a prankster in yogi magician and prophet and just so much more he dabbled in so many things that i could keep going and take four more breaths before i finished what all he was known for um he's been compared to sir richard burton and crowley is probably best known today as the author of the 20th century's most influential textbooks on occultism and as the first englishman to found a religion thelema which is today recognized as a faith all around the world. Now, Crowley was a member of many secret societies, including the renowned Golden Dawn, which we've talked about before, um, a place that harbored members as brilliant as Irish poet W.B. Yeats, who we've talked about before, and where he got to learn the hermetic corpus of Western magic, especially what is known as Solomonic magic, which is derived from King Solomon's method and supposedly was used to summon the spirits that helped him build his temple. So, you know, Crowley, he had his own outlook on everything. 
and everything. He, it was odd, you know. He he used a false name when he joined the the Order of the Golden Dawn because he wasn't really sure. He already had a reputation, mm-hmm. and he wasn't really sure that they would accept him as is. So as he became a more uh, renowned member, then he kind of let the cat out of the bag. Was his name uh, Callister Rowley? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. In fact, huh. I, I had the name that he used, but it was it was common. I don't John know Smith. I it, but yeah, it was something... Well, it was John Doe. It, it was a little flowery, but oh. it was it wasn't anything. Just you know, it wasn't like a play <laughs> on his own name. But either way, Callister Rowley is good. Way, I, I think we need that. He was really good at rubbing people the wrong way. I mean, he knew how to get under people's skin, and a lot of it was just because he felt like things should be done a certain way, and. You know, the the Order of the Golden Dawn was really more interested in communing with angels. Now, Crowley wanted to do that for sure, but the way he went about it and, and what his end game was as far as communing with angels and astral beings was a little bit different. So ultimately, Crowley, he had a falling out with the Order of the Golden Dawn. In just a few years after his induction, he began to rebel against the leader, which was S.L. McGregor Mathers. Now, his claims were that although he believed that Mathers did indeed have some mystical powers, that Mathers had begun to toy with evils that were well beyond his control. And this had caused irreparable... I knew I was going to (laughs) stumble on that word. Irreparable damage to the order, which really, Crowley said, gave him no alternative but to leave. Now, the orders, the the members of the order saw Crowley's exit a little bit differently. Now, his sexual orientation and his outlandish personality was really causing a problem among the other members. And Crowley had begun using psychedelic drugs to further heighten his experiences, and as the order members were typically abstaining members of high society. I mean, they were, like Adam said, they were affluent people. Um, They didn't approve of this, and that caused even more problems. Now, members were strictly forbidden from paying one another to teach them spells. So Crowley got around this, by offering free rent to another member in return for teaching him some of the more advanced spells. There you go. That works. You're not selling anything. Sounds like an episode of Sabrina, the <laughs> Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Well, know? it's like Sabrina oh, and Friends. Oh, you're not ready to learn that yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sabrina and Friends matched up. You know, they got sharing an apartment. And- right. <laughs> I'm going to let you live here for free, and you're going to teach me some of that freaky magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you mentioned the uh, psychedelics. He was actually one of the the first people to start using, one of the first people in Western culture to start using psychedelics along with magic to heighten his communing. Um, it's been All done. Right. It's, it's been done for 
since the dawn of time through most of humanity, but Western societies, you know, like we've said before, we're kind of behind on a lot of that stuff. And we always think we know better and all that. Well, he was the first one of the first ones to start incorporating that. Yeah. A real interesting read is he uh, he documented his his conversation with the color purple. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. (laughs) That's kind of what you do with psychedelics, though. Yeah, he smelled the Um, color nine. (laughs) Yeah, but because of all this and his personality, the order feared that as his influence in the group grew, that he would rise up the ranks and eventually take over. And so take that and then you combine it with his interest in black magic and they feared that if he got strong enough that he would use his power for evil instead of good, which ultimately was the the order's purpose. Right. Now, Crowley would actually be sued by the order for releasing secret writings from uh, Mathers to the public. A and secret he even claimed order can sue? A, a secret order can sue? I mean, that just seems weird to me. Yeah, you know, it's a, you wouldn't want to go to court with your secret order. Exactly. You know? It's who like, are, all our stuff's going to come out, man. We can't do this. Yeah, who are you representing? <laughs> um, this group that I can't talk about. I, I can't tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you can't know, but why I'm here on suing, their behalf. Why are they suing this guy? Well, we can't tell you that either. But, you know, there there really wasn't a copyright on any of this. So Crowley won. Yeah. Um, but that lawsuit pretty much ended his relationship with the order. As most lawsuits do, yes. I would say so. But after his falling out with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Crowley went to Paris. And then he came to the Americas. Now, he did do some traveling in Mexico. And uh, he found inspiration in, in what he discovered there, and he established his own order, the Lamp of the Invisible Light. Now, according to Crowley, his time in the Order of the Golden Dawn was really just a warm-up. And he, he compared his, his leaving the order to, he quotes, putting away childish things. And he set out to advance his knowledge on his own. So he learned to wield, dig this, the all-encircling chain of the Great Brotherhood and the sword of the Flaming Light. That's a mouthful. Killing the serpent that had started the downfall of Christ while taming good and evil bulls, sowing dragon's teeth, and acquiring the golden fleece. Man, he was on the good stuff, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> I'm like, I read that. I was like, what? <laughs> Wait. I just. I mean, we've we've got we've got Greek mythology in here. We've got biblical references uh-huh. in here. What? Where is he going with this? <laughs> yeah, it's. It. I, it. He's just. It's an all-encompassing group, apparently. I'm telling you, it. it uh, it, it's it's pretty incredible, but um, while he was writing his uh, self-initiation ceremonies for his new order, he also discovered 
how to make himself invisible. Which, according to Crowley, is actually pretty easy. I need to learn that. I, I, I know. I'm like, okay, well, how easy is it? But Crowley said that it doesn't have to do with anything about truly making yourself invisible, but controlling everyone else around you and making them completely uninterested in making eye contact with you or noticing you in any way. So I've already figured Crowley's that out. Idea, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> um but Crowley's idea of invisibility was just to blend in to the point that people don't notice you. Yeah. Okay. So he says once he figured out how to do it, he could he could gauge by the faintness of his own reflection. So he doesn't even pay attention to himself. He could put on his his red robes and his golden crown and walk the streets of Mexico and no one would ever make eye contact with him or initiate a conversation now. Yeah. Let me I, ask you. I, yeah. <laughs> I know why. You're walking down the street <laughs> and there's a guy wearing red robes and a gold crown. Mm-hmm. Are you going to make eye contact and start no, talking with this guy? I'm, I'm not looking at that fool either. <laughs> I'm looking the other direction because I'm like, please, God, don't ask me anything. Yep, yep, don't, don't talk, talk to, me. to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I ain't got time for your craziness <laughs> today. <laughs> so maybe, just maybe, if you're just so outlandish, it's not that people are uninterested. People ignore you. Yeah, they they <laughs> legitimately don't want to look at you. That's <laughs> But according to Crowley, that made him invisible. Well, then I've learned to be invisible since my high school years. I'm I'm really good at that. But all of this work uh led him uh to continue his his philosophy and his teaching and his study and pushed him toward his his eventual goal which was to create his own theology right which was as adam mentioned before was called thelema and uh, adam tell us a little bit about thelema because i know you you did a lot of research on this yeah probably more than i should have for my own mental <laughs> sake but <laughs> Um, so thelema or thelema um, is a Greek word meaning will or intention, and that that plays a big part in his religious beliefs um, around this time. Now, one of the earliest mentions of thelemic philosophy occurs in the class, the classic Gargantua and Pentagruel, which was written by Francois. Rebel, Rebelais, I think, R-E-B-E-L-A-I-S, um, in 1532. In 1904, while traveling in Egypt with his wife Rose, Crowley became inextricably involved in a series of events which he claimed to inaugurate a new eon of human evolution. 
Now, these culminated in April when Crowley entered a state of trance and wrote down the three chapters of 220 verses, which came to be called the Book of the Law, um, which, among other things, this book declared, quote, the word of the law is Thelema and, quote, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And I think we've talked about that statement before in a previous episode. We have. We have. So Crowley's I don't remember which one, but I don't I either. We I don't either. We we <laughs> we've talked about it so often. Um but Crowley spent the rest of his life developing the system of Philema as revealed by the book of the law. Now, the result was a huge output of commentary and works relating to magic, mysticism, yoga, Kabbalah, and other occult subjects. Now, virtually all of his writings bear the influence of Thelema as interpreted and understood by Crowley in his capacity as prophet of the new eon. Now, one theory holds that each chapter of the book of the law is associated with a particular eon of human spiritual evolution. Now, according to this view, chapter one characterizes the eon of Isis when the archetype of female divinity was paramount. Chapter 2 relates to the eon of Osiris, when the archetype of the slain god became prominent, and the world's patriarchal religions became established. Chapter 3 brings in the dawning of a new eon, the eon of Horus, the child of the Isis and Osiris. Now, it's this new eon that Thelema will fully be revealed to humanity and it will become established as the primary paradigm for the spiritual evolution of the species. So basically what he's saying is that um, his writings are like a history lesson for us. Um, Chapter one and chapter two are the history lessons and chapter three, the new eon The Eon of Horus is what we're living in now, and it's basically our guide to live by, and it's not widely known yet because part of this new Eon is to release that knowledge to all of the human race. Right, and you may wonder, what in the world would make Crowley just decide he's going to write this book of the law? Where was his inspiration? Now, according to Crowley, um, he was approached and directed to write this by Iwas, who Crowley claimed was a minister of Horus, who, like Adam said, he's the central deity in Thelema. Now, Crowley describes this inspiration or this intervention from Iwas in in a later book called The Equinox of the Gods. And this is what he says. He says, The voice of Iwas came apparently from over my left shoulder, from the furthest corner of the room. It seemed to echo itself in my physical heart in a very strange manner, hard to describe. I have noticed a similar phenomenon when I have been waiting for a message fraught with great hope or dread. The voice was passionately poured as if I was were alert about the time limit. The voice was of deep timber, musical and expressive. It tones, its tones solemn, voluptuous, 
tender, fierce, or aught else as suited the moods of the message. Now, he says it wasn't a bass voice, maybe like a tenor or a baritone. It's curious that he goes on and on about, you know, I'm I'm really giving you Very a short detailed. passage as to how he de- describes this voice. But he does go on to describe Iwas' appearance. He says he was transparent like a, a veil of gauze. He said his dress was Persian, and Crowley believed him to be an angel like he had seen in his visions, but definitely an, an astral being. Mm-hmm. So, oddly enough... In the book, Magic in Theory and Practice, Alwis is identified by Crowley as, quote, the devil, Satan, and Lucifer. Now, it's important to note that the the devil didn't mean the same to Crowley. He, he saw the devil as an angel of God who brought the power of self-will to humans, essentially making gods out of themselves. Yet even those that knew Crowley suspected that Iwas was merely an extension of his own consciousness. You know, he just, not necessarily that he just, he just made him up, but that. Like a tulpa, basically. Kind of, you know, it was this, this voice rattling around in his head telling him, oh, you need to write this and this and this. Um, You know, everybody's had that, you know, you get that inner monologue and it, almost mm-hmm. sounds like you're you're talking to yourself in a different voice directing what you're going to do and, and that's what a lot of people felt that I was was that he he believed this voice that was in his head um was actually an astral being but um as Adam's talking about the book of the law would would serve as the central text behind Thelema um and further promoting Crowley's do what thou wilt philosophy so Let's take a look at some of the points of the book of the law and just kind of get a general summation of some of the things that are in there. So you kind of have an understanding of his mindset and and what he was wanting to portray. Um, One of them is every man and every woman is a star. So this is usually taken to mean that each individual is unique and has their own path in a spacious universe where they can move freely without collision. So you see right there it's starting the taking yourself as as the a unique individual who has power. And that that holds through most of his writings. Um your power within you is the main power. Yeah. To Crowley, the most powerful being in the universe was you. Right. Exactly. Yep. You you were no more powerful than anyone else, but you were you were the most powerful for your own individualism. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why all of his writings push that self-will and. And again, it goes back to that do what you wilt. It, it's this whole idea of it's it's your life, you know, make the absolute most of it. You know, this is this is the power within you. You just have to learn how to tap into it. Exactly. Um, so on that note, uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law and thou hast no right but to do thy will. So this is a continuation of what we were just talking about. Um, most 
Thelemites hold that every person possesses a, quote, true will, a single overall motivation for their existence. Now, the law of Thelema mandates that each person follow their true will to attain fulfillment in life and freedom from restriction of their nature. Now, because no two true wills can be in real conflict, uh, this law also prohibits one from interfering with the true will of any other person. So that's kind of like my saying, I don't give a crap what you do as long as it doesn't negatively affect me. That Right. It's pretty much that. Which, which, that, which you know, what, what other religion do we know that preaches this exact thing? Satanism. Yep. Yep. Very true. The, 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 idea, the idea that you, you live your life, do whatever you want, and it's perfectly fine as long as you don't interfere with someone else living their life. Right. You know, right. Which, you know, that we're not going to get into Satanism, but that's, that's what Satanism is at its core. Right. It's you very know, it's, misunderstood. Yeah. I mean, it's like you do what you want to do. If this makes you happy, if you want to do this, then by all means do it. As long as you're not, you know, harming or interfering with someone else doing the same thing. Yep. Yep. You know, just living their life. Yep. Exactly. Well, the notion of absolute freedom for an individual to follow his or her true will is a cherished thing amongst the Thelemites. Now, the main task of an individual setting out on the path of Thelema is to first discover his or her true will giving methods of self-exploration such as magic great importance. Now, every true will is different, and because each person has a unique point of view of the universe, no no one can determine the true will for another person. Each person must arrive at the discovery for themselves. So there's no way that I could tell Matt what his true will is, or he could tell me because it's a self-discovery because Matt right. may know me, but he doesn't know me like I know myself. So, right. you know, we both would have to go on our own exploration of what our true will is in order to develop the rest of our lives and extend this thought throughout the rest of our lives. Yeah. This always reminds me of the cartoon where the guy is climbing the mountain, you know, he's by this, tremendous journey and he gets to the top of the mountain and there's this you know this meditating old man long white beard and he's like oh you know great teacher what is the meaning of life and you know he says something you know along the lines of you know look into your own self and you know that's kind of what it's saying pretty much yeah you you've you've sought me out to tell you what the meaning of your life is. Right. It's it's inside of you is what this is saying. You know, there's you know, there's no reason to go search someone else out cuz they're not going to be able to tell you. Right. Take you that. Know, you have to figure it out yourself. Take that mountain climb internally. It's something you've got to do all for yourself. Um And I mean, how many how many different how many different theologies have we seen over the centuries that Follow something along these lines. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah, it's not out of the norm by any yeah, stretch. Truly exploring your own self and learning, you know, you you self love and and you know self reliance and you know 
you're your own best person and all this other stuff. I mean, we've, we've seen that in, in, you know, Eastern religion, you know, for centuries, Mm -hmm. you know, so in reality, this, this is not a new concept. No, he's just, he's putting his own spin on it. Right. He's wording it in a different way. Um, now the last one we'll touch on is love is the law, love under will. Now this is, a very important corollary to what we just talked about, um, indicating that the essential nature of the law of Thelema is that of love. Now, each individual unites with his or her true self in love, and so empowered, the entire universe of conscious beings unites with every other being with love. Now, with the emphasis on freedom and individuality, Inherent in Thelema, the beliefs of any given Thelemite are likely to differ from those of any other. In the comment appended to the Book of the Law, it is stated that, quote, all questions of the law are to be decided only by appeal to my writings, each for himself. Now, although Thelema is definitely a quote unquote religion, it's a new kind of religion. One which accommodates a full range of individual beliefs from atheism to polytheism. So in Thelema, you decide for yourself if you're atheist, agnostic, you know, worship one true God, worship a pantheon of gods. Um, It's up to you as long as you're following the book of the law. You can do any of these things that you wish. So it is truly an all-encompassing, quote-unquote, religion for everybody. And, you know, it's it, hard for me to call it a religion, but that's what it is defined as. Um, yeah. Seems like more like a philosophy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it Because it, it says the important thing is that each person has the right to fulfill themselves through whatever beliefs and actions are best suited to them, so long as you don't interfere with others again. Yeah. Um, and that, only they themselves are qualified to, to, to determine which these are. Yeah. Sounds okay so far, right? Right. Sounds fine. Nothing too crazy? No. Not yet. Nothing too, out, nothing too outlandish. Not yet. But... Um, Crowley goes on in the book of the law to um, to discuss, you know, some some current issues and politics and society. And he makes some he makes some predictions, one of which is, you know, the the rise of of the. The new age or the, you know, the um, the eon, um would would lead to the eventual fall of society as it was known at the time and and this is what would lead into the new age now he discusses communism socialism fascism and capitalism and he details his views on the pros and cons of of each one now crowley was he was really against any kind of you know communalism of any kind it it reduced the power of the individual but he wasn't really an an anarchist at least not a true anarchist 
um, he saw potential in each of these systems, but was quick to point out their shortcomings. Now, some interesting things about Crowley's new age and and what he sought to uh, to happen in the new age was the equality of the sexes, you know, women's liberation, feminism, all of this Um, sexual freedom, you know, the. The lack of uh, persecution for your sexual orientation. He was way ahead of his um, time on all that. He he was in 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 these ideas, um, because this was something that no nobody was even thinking about. You know, at the at that time, I mean, no. we're talking about early nineteen hundreds. You know, the, the early nineteen hundreds. I mean, you know, a, a different sexual orientation. I mean. I mean, you, you you would be cast out mm-hmm. of society. I mean, you, you know, you, you people lost lost jobs, livelihoods, sometimes even imprisoned mm-hmm. because of a different sexual orientation. You know, and and he was talking about this new age. You know, everybody you, you can be free to do whatever it was you wanted. Right. You know, um, non non discrimination or non differentiation, as he calls it, um, free association, which means that you could you could get together with whoever you wanted whenever you wanted and discuss whatever topic it was you wanted because you know at the time under governments you know like with communism and fascism um you know associations were were not permitted I mean, sure. you could if you had a group of people that gathered together to discuss anything that was against the law because you might be plotting against the government. Mm-hmm. You know, you may be you may be developing a plan against the Fuhrer or something like that. He's talking about free association, the ability to discuss whatever you want with whomever you want. Right. Universal prosperity and and personal autonomy. You know, being able to govern yourself, um, being able to decide what's right and wrong for you. Um, you know, if 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 you feel like that drinking alcohol is wrong then that's okay if if you think that you know consuming alcohol was perfectly fine and was a a natural part of life that's okay too and and under his ideals you can't tell him that he's wrong and he can't tell you that you're wrong exactly you know so you know according to the law Whatever it was you thought was right for you, then that was perfectly okay. And furthermore, the law said you had to follow them. Mm-hmm. If the, if that's what your true will said about you, then that's what you had to do. Okay, so in 1919, Crowley ended up leaving New York where he was living to move to Cephalus, Sicily, where he began to paint landscapes. Now, he transformed his rented villa by painting erotic wall murals after the example of Paul Gauguin, who was one of Crowley's heroes. Um, This was his Abbey of Thelema, an experiment in spiritual monasticism. Now, students traveled to Sicily from around the world to, quote, find their true wills, or, or like we've said, their purpose in life. Now, Crowley's training regimen involved breaking down all artificial and societal inhibitions to liberate the essential self, while simultaneously giving training in yoga, concentration, and self-analysis. 
Now, the Abbey and its residents prospered, but when an Oxford undergraduate died at the Abbey from drinking local water, which Crowley told him not to drink, the British press attacked Crowley relentlessly. Now, the Home Secretary, Joyston Hicks, and his press mouthpiece, James Douglas, of the Sunday Express, demonized Crowley. The press depicted him as, quote, the wickedest man in the world and, quote, a man we'd like to hang. Now, ironically, this campaign is what ensured Crowley's enduring fame. Yeah, that's right. By by tagging him with this nickname, they virtually ensured that he would be talked about for, you know, decades after. Sure. Well, it's so, like telling your kid, uh, yeah. you do not do this. Your kid is going to want to go do this. So you mm-hmm. name Crowley the wickedest man in the world, people are going to go, well, what is this Crowley guy all about? Right. And, you know, another name that Crowley gave himself was the Beast 666, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, is is a reference from, you know, the great beast in Revelation. Um so he he embraced that idea that society thought of him as the wickedest man in the world. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. You make your own decisions on that. If you, if you look in there, I mean, I don't I don't know that. That he was necessarily. A, an evil person, I mean, he, he wasn't running around hurting people, although, you know, when we talked about Crowley in our um curse of the mummy episode Mm -hmm. you know there is a theory that crowley was the one that was going around killing or having killed all these people and attributing to the curse of the mummy because of the time that he spent in egypt right and because egypt was where he supposedly communed with iwas and he wrote the book of the law egypt held a very sacred point uh, for Crowley, and so he viewed the exhumation of King Tut as a sacrilege. Sure, you know it was, you know it was a desecration, and and so it 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 would make sense. And you know, a lot of people have gone as far as to actually track his location in correlation with um, with those deaths that were attributed to the curse of the mummy. Um, so if, if, if you haven't listened to that one, go back cause it, it's a pretty interesting theory. Yeah, it uh, really is. But Crowley's teachings, um, they, they endured because with all of this press, people wanted to know more about him. They wanted to, to meet him and talk to him. Uh, they wanted to read his writings and they wanted to hear what his ideas were. And I mean, and his teachings weren't all just new age mumbo jumbo and you know like we mentioned at the top you know his followers that not only grew in number they they grew in stature um you know a couple in particular uh we'll talk about uh jack parsons who was a pioneer in the field of rocket propulsion and nasa's jet propulsions jet propulsion labs say that fast <laughs> but he he also influenced L. Ron Hubbard. I think everybody knows that name. Um, who at the time 
was really just a small-time science fiction writer. Right. Um, but would later found the Church of Scientology. Yep. Now, it's interesting to note that Crowley considered Hubbard to be a fraud. Mm-hmm. And he was he was really upset at Hubbard when he and Parsons paired up together to um, kind of further their own occultist agenda. Yeah, I always thought that so, was uh, funny. And uh, reading that, I, I just thought that was interesting. It's like yeah, two, I mean, two competing religions there, you know. And, and you know what Parsons and Hubbard did together. I mean, another episode. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. What 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 they what they joined up to do or what they say they were able to do is is pretty fantastical and. You may even may even look for a Patreon episode about that in particular, um, because that is a that is a really insane story. Oh, dude, it's wild um, about what what these two guys, you know, you know, did. And what was funny is they were proud of it and, and wanted Crowley to be a part of it. You know, he he thought they were they were idiots for, <laughs> for even trying what they did. Right. But when you look into into Crowley's teachings on on self awareness, it's it, like we said before, it's easy to see his inspiration from ancient religious practices and and his influence in even modern day spiritualism, like yoga, for example. Uh, Adam mentioned that he was a yogi. Now, yoga, of course, is widely has been widely practiced for centuries as a form of meditation and self exploration, and it was praised by Crowley. And now, it's great for him, your core strength. Hey, exactly. I, I I need to start doing yoga. You and me both. I am the most. I am one of the most inflexible human beings you will ever meet. I am like <laughs> stiff. Yeah. There's I, if if you it, you look at things that that don't bend, you get like a poker, like a two by four, like one of those iPhones. And then there's me. And a map, yeah. <laughs> None of them really bend all that much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just need to do it for the, the meditation. I've been wanting to get into meditation, and I think it would be a good way to kind of get into that, you know. It would yeah. give me, because I'm ADD, it would give me something to do while I'm meditating, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> God forbid you just do focus on one thing. Yeah, you know, I can't. I've, well, if I'm going to do this yoga, I've got to have something else to do while I'm doing right, this yoga. Right, right. i got to be doing something else <laughs> while I'm doing this. Get you some downward dog there. Um, <laughs> family now, show. Now, according to... Family show, that's right. So, according to Crowley, nothing really exists without other things. Now, in, in his, you know, his writings on yoga... He gives an example of cheese. I love this example. This sounds like something I'd make up. (laughs) Now, Crowley says that cheese doesn't really have any qualities by itself because every person that tries it might see something different. But we don't have those qualities in us because without the cheese, we're nothing. It's only when we meet the cheese that magic happens. <laughs> and yoga is a way of connecting our minds and our subconscious with the world around us. I have been telling so, Ashley that about cheese for years. <laughs> that is why I love cheese. 
I put it on everything because without the cheese, I am nothing. That's right. Without cheese, I am nothing. I need a shirt that says that. <laughs> Just so yep. people will ask me, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yep. I, I think but, we found our new uh, graveyard merch, Matt. Without the cheese, right. I am nothing. <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Man, if we made half the t-shirts we talk about making on this show. Oh, dude. We'd, we'd have our we'd, own store. We'd have, we, we would. We'd have our own store. Um, but this this idea what, he, what he's saying is that because you know if if adam tries a cheese and i try the same cheese we each have a different experience with the cheese but by itself the cheese is is nothing it's just there you know it doesn't have any any significant quality until you interact with it until you taste it Okay, and so what what Crowley is saying is that humans are like this, too, that without the the world around us, you know, we're just kind of here. So you have to experience the world around us in order to fully realize your own qualities. Essentially, I I get that. That makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I don't know why he used cheese as an example. but, I don't either. I mean, but I loved it. Oh yeah, I mean, he could have used anything. He chose cheese. I I I love cheese, and I I love the fact that his quote has cheese. And I am writing down what? new graveyard shirt without the cheese. <laughs> I am nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so if we go back, remember we're talking about yoga. We've gotten into cheese, but um, add brain. He says, yeah, "That's right." He says everything about us. Is, is yoga for he says it's it's only through yoga that we truly experience anything and those that practice yoga on a regular basis and in the right way he says that these four things will eventually happen now dig this the first one is perspiration <laughs> you're gonna sweat okay all right hot yoga yeah okay any yoga then, I do is hot, Matt. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I don't want to see that video. You doing yoga? New Patreon episode. All right. Yeah, this this is Adam doing yoga. <laughs> so first you start to sweat, then you get a spasm in your body that causes all of the muscles to go rigid. Now wait, I don't want to. I'm I'm rigid enough as it is. I don't need to be any more rigid. Yeah, you were trying I, to I get less to do yoga rigid so I can loosen up. Now after that, he says there'll be a third stage of what he calls Bukhari City, which is sort of a a weird phenomenon of jumping around like a frog. Okay. Most people have they've seen this and they don't realize what they've seen. If you've ever seen like a a, a yoga master, um, especially like Middle Eastern, they do this thing where their legs are kind of in the lotus position, mm-hmm. and they bounce up and down. Sure, on their butt, so they look kind of like you know a pogo stick. You know, they're just kind of bouncing up and down. Right. So it leads to the fourth stage, which is levitation. Okay. So you you just start hopping up and down, and eventually you don't come down. 
All right. Okay. Now, Crowley even said that he had, he'd never seen it happen. But people had told him that they had seen him levitating. Oh, really? So he's never seen anybody levitate, but people tell him that he does it. Well, he didn't see himself do it. There wasn't a mirror yeah, around. You know. And if we well, go back, focused. if we go back to the beginning of the episode, he doesn't even pay attention to his own reflection. So that's right. So he can't even see himself. He's invisible. Right. He's invisibly levitating. So how did these other people seem? I guess he didn't have on his red robe. <laughs> So um, now we we kind of we kind of go from this. Like I said, it gets a little weirder. I mean, you know, we, we got it. We can't talk about the Book of the Law, Crowley's teachings, Thelema, without talking about magic. Sure. And and Crowley claimed that he was a magician. And interestingly enough, Crowley spelled magic. With a K at the end. And the reason he did this is because magic with a C, he said was like a, a parlor trick, you know, sleight of hand, you know, pick a card, any card. You know, anybody could learn to do that. It's a trick, you know. It, it, right. There's, there's nothing really happening there other than someone is fooling you. Now, he used the K at the end to separate tricks from what he called actual magic. Right. So what he called actual magic was the Solomonic magic that we talked about before. Um, A lot of people often refer to it as black magic, um, which I don't necessarily see that, but that's one of the ways it's been described. Um this talks about a complex system for invocation of angels and demons and for achieving changes in nature by operating through them. Now, this is the sort of magic that is often represented by the use of spells, incantations, and rites. Now, the Enochian language, or, quote, the language of the angels, the Kabbalah, the Geisha, the sigils, and other Oracular systems such as the ruins comprise the theoretical basis for articulating an intention and its operative resonance in nature. Now, curiously, however, all the arcane science did not figure into what Crowley himself considered true magic. If anything, he encouraged his pupils to learn all the theory they could only to get rid of it later. For him, magic was fundamentally a psychological system meant to conduct human will towards a complete command over his individuality. So magic for him was all intention. You learn this system, the systems of magic and the theory and all that, but it's only so you don't do that. And right. I'm a big believer in intention on things where if you put out enough intention into the universe, then the universe usually will reciprocate with that intention. Basically, you know, if you're wanting something to come to fruition, put out those vibes 
for lack of a better right. term, you put out those vibes into the universe and you say, this is what I want to achieve. And you're more likely to achieve it than if you go the other way. You know, you don't be negative about, oh, I'm never going to achieve this. Well, then you never will believe and you can kind of thing. Yeah, it's like the uh, the dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Yeah, you know? pretty much. <laughs> put out put out some positive vibes, y'all. Oh so, yeah. But so how do you how do you get to this point? Well, Crowley used fa- family show. So if y'all when y'all hear me talk about this, don't you don't got to flip the radio off. We're gonna we're gonna be, you know, PG edited for, sure. for graveyard listening. Crowley used what he called sex magic now like i said without going into all the all of the sordid details this is essentially a way to achieve complete physical exhaustion through sex in multiple forms to reach what crowley called erotocomatose lucidity now in this state the body is exhausted and the spirit is exhilarated leaving a person in a not asleep but not awake state, allowing them to experience and commune with divine spirits. So essentially his, his idea is, is that you, you have to, the body will interfere. Sure. We've talked about that before. Um, yeah. In the, other things, your the, body gets in the way. Right. And, and, and so for this same deal, um, if you if you can completely exhaust your body, then it lets your mind open up. Your your mind no longer has to worry about what what your hand is doing or what your leg is doing. And this was how you achieved it was through complete exhaustion. Right. So he goes on to uh, to talk more about the use of magic. And according to Crowley, the magical phenomena are made up of six things: touch, taste. Smell, sight, sound, and the mind. Now, the first five, depending on how they're stimulated, will cause changes in the brain, which are then manifested as magical results. So, again, what Adam was talking about, the intention um, of what you're doing can produce the desired result. Now, once the mind processes what it's receiving from the senses, it projects the results back into the physical world. And that means that all the demons and devils come right from the mind of the person conjuring them. So the, the portal to conjure these demons and, and astral beings is you. Right. You're channeling them, you know, into your world. Now, he goes on to say that each demon is associated with certain signs, seals, and names. And the names are essentially vibrations which stimulate a part of the brain and allow the caster to control the part that's associated with that particular demon. Okay? So if you're looking to summon a demon that's going to help you with, you know, this example is math homework. You would use the sights and smells that stimulate the logic part of the brain while saying the words that stimulate the same part. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so you know if you're if you're if you have writer's block, okay, then then you would you would use the the sights and the sounds and the smells that would stimulate the creative parts of your brain, and then you would say the words that would also stimulate the creative part of your brain, and essentially you're summoning a demon that will help you cure your writer's block. Right. Right. Okay. Which all of that seems fairly logical when when you think about it in this sense. In order yeah. to achieve something, you put all of your intention into it and you say whatever words or or sounds that associate with that and it will come to fruition. It it right. all goes hand in hand. Yeah. It's just the idea that Crowley had that these demons were going to come and help you achieve these goals. Mm-hmm. So his idea of summoning demons is not bringing about hell on earth or or total devastation. Right, right. You know, it's it's bringing these demons into your mind that helps you as the individual. And you, you call upon specific ones for specific tasks. Right. So, Again, it's a very self-centered uh, religion and task. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, that that's the Lima in a nutshell. I mean, that and, you know, understanding that and understanding, you know, the idea of of the the self-will individualism. Um, and the, the use of magic and yet you, you, you understand Aleister Crowley, you understand what he was about and, you know, like Adam and I have talked about how, how these things draw from ancient religious practices and, you know, how we see their influence in modern day spiritual practices. You can understand that he was developing followers that were 100% buying into this and actually do today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Thelema is still around today. Um, you know, people still follow these teachings. And again, it's just this idea of, you know, through, you know, the, the proper channels, you can, you know, essentially master your own self and be able to achieve anything you want. So, yeah. Um, and not much you know, of that it, seems too crazy. Right. You know, th- now this this idea of all this magic, you know, it it it, it depends on how how open your mind is to this idea of of the magic. I mean, you know, it's is it really magic is what we're thinking about? You know, what I think most people think of when they think of magic is that you can, you know, move stuff and make stuff disappear and you know you have some kind of you know mystical power but it, it, it seems like in Crowley's teaching you know it, it's it's not about you know shooting lightning bolts out of your hands right. you know it's the magic is is that that true will you know that ability to harness you know your inner self and and achieve what your true will wants you to achieve right and his his idea of magic is completely different than what, you know, Wicca magic would be or pagan magic would be considered and how they would look at it. It's 
you know, it's not the the spells and the incantations and stuff, yet he incorporates Although, some of that chanting into his right. his thing, but the the outcome is different. It's not to it's not to create or influence something without. It's totally to influence something within. Exactly. So the exactly. the magic is internal and the magic is for you and only you. Yeah, so we're we're not, you know, we're not telling you, "Hey, go out and convert to Thelema." Right. You know, we're just we're hopefully we're we're trying to help everyone understand a little bit more about who this character was and how unique he was, uh especially for the time where he lived. Um you know, so, I mean, everybody's heard, you know, most most people know, or they at least when they hear it, they go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. I mean, you know, Ozzy Osbourne included him in songs, um, Led Zeppelin, you know, a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of rock bands from, you know, the 60s and 70s were were into Crowley's teachings and, and the occult and things like that. And and we're going to get into that here in just a second, but um, I don't think that we could we could talk about Aleister Crowley without getting into some of the the things that he he may have caused and left behind. And w- when you start looking into Aleister Crowley, his home or at least one of them inevitably will come up, and. What we're talking about is the the Bolskin house, and it has probably the most one of the most interesting stories about Aleister Crowley. And you know, as I was doing the research, I, I told Adam, I said, "We we just we can't we can't not talk about this. You know, right. we, we have to discuss this because it's it's just it's too incredible, you know, to not talk about it." So. The the Bolskin House was a, a Scottish mansion that was owned by Crowley near the turn of the 20th century. Now, the mansion itself was built in the 1760s at the site of a former church that was said to have caught fire during a service, killing the entire congregation. Well, if that's now, not some juju put into that I'm ground. I'm telling you. Yeah, let's build a house here. Yeah. Hmm. Seems like a bad idea there. Right. But okay, you do you. But uh, Bolskin was purchased by Crowley in 1899. Um, Crowley bought it for the explicit purpose of conducting a six-month ritual um, that was designed to summon demons. Mm -hmm. So during the ritual... um, he he did a he did a lot of meditation. Um, he practiced celibacy, which was kind of uh, and abstinence, which was way out of character for Crowley. Yeah, and um, you know, especially you know, he was he was into these psychedelic drugs, and you know, he was all over the place sexually. So this was, seemed a little out of the norm, um, and for that reason, a lot of people thought. It was too much, and he couldn't complete it. Because after that, he just he just kind of took off to Paris. Yeah. So, and and he 
it's believed that he never really completed any of any of the spell that would have brought about it. Or or did he? Yeah. <laughs> did, Maybe did he, he complete did. it and just go, eh, I'm out of here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe he was ADD too and got bored with it. He, he's standing there, you know, with his hands on his hips. My work here is done. Off to Paris. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll just leave this here. Yeah, but I mean, but even Crowley admitted later that, you know, at least one of his experiments had gone really, really wrong. Okay. And the story grew that he had conjured these demons and just left them in that house. Okay. Um, but there was a there was a series of tragedies in the house, um, including the deaths of uh, the the housekeeper's children. And when I say housekeeper, I mean like this was a it's a caretaker right. took care of the house when Crowley was away. But um, some of the strange things that he did there, um, one of them is uh, is he uh, supposedly threw sacrificial sheep into the lock every Sunday for his pet air quotes nessie ah. <laughs> Feeding now, nessie. Now, now we're now we're getting into the weird yeah right not only was crowley kind of a weirdo he was throwing sheep into the lake to uh feed nessie mm-hmm. okay <laughs> but a few years later crowley managed to sell the house which passed through various owners over the next few decades one of these was Major Edward Grant, who died in 1965 after committing suicide in the occultist's former bedroom. So right in Crowley's bedroom, this guy wow. shoots himself. The house was then bought by a married couple whose marriage broke up shortly afterwards. Then it was purchased by Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page in 1970. Now, Page wanted the house because he thought it would be inspiration for songwriting. Mm-hmm. But like we said, you know, he was really just one of the rock stars from this time frame that was influenced by Crowley. But the the you know, the idea of, you know, sex and drugs just kind of went along with rock and roll. Sure. So, um in fact, you know, we mentioned this on one of the Patreon episodes as kind of a little uh, clue as to what we were going to talk about this week. Um, you know, Crowley is uh, one of the figures on the cover of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album cover. Right, right. And uh, David Bowie references Crowley in the in the song Quicksand. So, you know, like I said, he, he was a big influencer in in you know, rock musicians, you know, in the 60s and 70s. But Jimmy Page's interest ran a good bit deeper. Um, he Page financed a, a bookshop that, called Equinox, which he named after Crowley's book, The Equinox of the Gods. And he stocked it with a number of rare and very expensive books on the occult. Now, Page also collected Crowley memorabilia, and he asked other members of Led Zeppelin to join him in a ritual based on the occultist writings to propel the band to greater success. Now, it's said that all the members of the band took part in the ritual, with the exception of John Paul Jones, Mm -hmm. who was 
kind of the straight-laced one of the group. Right. Now, the band's album started to reference Crowley, and in 1972, Page wrote the soundtrack for a film called Lucifer Rising. Now, the, uh, the director of this film was Kenneth Anger. Now, he was another Crowley follower and ritualistic magic practitioner. Now, Anger and Page had a falling out, which caused Anger to curse Jimmy Page. Oh, Lord. Okay? Now, remember, so the, just so we're, you know, this is how this ties in. Page is living in Crowley's house, okay? Um, and and there's, even, there's even a story where one night Jimmy Page had this unreal experience where the whole house was shaking and he felt like he couldn't move and he thought at any moment that the spirit of Aleister Crowley was going to explode right through his bedroom door Mm -hmm. and just and confront him for all of this stuff he had been you know trying to do inside this house um there there's also um a, a story uh if you if you I heard this on another show where um, he he got David Bowie involved in one of these little rituals, and it freaked David Bowie completely out to the point that he really didn't want to have anything to do with Jimmy Page anymore. And they were they were close, they were buds, yeah. you know. And so you know what whatever whatever Page was up to inside Crowley's house. It not only freaked him out, it freaked other people out, too. Well, and a quick aside, since we're talking about the house and some of the stuff that went on there, um, we mentioned Hellier earlier, and it's kind of a synchronicity that um, I heard this recently before uh, we recorded this episode. They talked about in there, during the 70s, somebody theorized that while Crowley was performing the ritual in his house— that opened the door to the demons and everything that this also opened a door to be able to allow the alien grays into our planet. So we didn't have alien grays up until this portal or whatever was opened. And then yeah. from that point on, the grays were prevalent on earth. Take of that what you will. I just thought it was interesting that Matt and I are researching Crowley and mm-hmm. I'm also watching Hellier, and then they mention Crowley and Alien Greys in that episode. Right, yeah. And, you know, there's that the whole idea that all aliens are actually demons. Mm-hmm. All demons are actually aliens. Right. We're, you know, we're so looking at aliens the wrong way, basically. Yeah, essentially. So, you know, it's, it's interesting tie-ins when you start digging into these there are so many crowley tie-ins to everything oh yeah oh yeah especially when when you're talking about the the 60s and 70s Mm -hmm. you know a lot of use of psychedelic drugs um you know a, a, a lot of uh attitude changes from you know the the government's great and we're all this big community to and just just live your life and and do what you want and you know be kind to one another and all this i mean all those they they kind of fall into you know what what crowley was talking about but kenneth anger being another crowley follower 
and a practitioner decided that he could curse Jimmy Page over this, you know, riff that they had. And and shortly after that curse, Robert Plant and his family nearly died in a car crash in Greece. But the crash resulted in the cancellation of the band's physical graffiti tour and delayed the release of their next album. Now, the next tour also experienced a lot of bad luck when Robert Plant suffered laryngitis, causing fans to riot and creating more strife between the band members. In 1977, Plant's son Carrick died, and this was followed by the death of John Bonham in 1980, which essentially marked the end of Led Zeppelin. So, you know, all, all of this started for the band when Page bought this house and started digging into all this stuff. Sounds like you know, that it, curse it, it might have worked. Him, yeah, it led him to work with Kenneth Anger and then um, caused him to be cursed, if you, if you believe in curses. Um, but it was odd that, you know, Led Zeppelin was on the rise. And the whole idea behind Paige doing any of this was just to achieve the absolute pinnacle of success mm-hmm. for Led Zeppelin. I mean, that's that's what his focus was in all of this. But while Paige was gone, he had left the house in the care of a, a friend named Malcolm Dent. Now, Malcolm claimed he had had a lot of weird experiences in Crowley's old house. Doors would slam shut and open mysteriously. Furniture would move around. Rugs and carpet apparently rolled up of their own accord. You know, and Dent frequently heard odd rumblings at night, but suffered what he said was the most terrifying night of his life when he was wakened by the noises of a wild animal outside of his bedroom door. Uh, he said after that, whatever was out there was pure evil. Now, the house is still there, um, and, and it, was, uh, it was sold in 1991 to Annette and Ronald McGilvery, and they turned it into a hotel and pretty much dismissed any talk that there was any strange or paranormal activity going on there at all. Now, it was converted back into private ownership, um, but suffered uh, significant damage in a 2015 fire. Um, then, then it was purchased uh, by London-based lawyer Kyra Reddy and a property developer named Keith Reddy, and a foundation was set up for its restoration. Um, but yet that, that restoration has been slowed again by another fire in July of this year. So that's one of these things that I like to talk about when it says the the building doesn't want you to do something. Right, right. You know, We've seen that this, often. This building does not want to be changed and restored and messed with and turned into a hotel. It just wants to be left alone. Maybe because there's a portal inside that's letting demons in there and they're, they've turned it into their clubhouse. Yeah, right. <laughs> just want to tell everybody, hey, get out of here. Right. You know, we well, don't want you here. We've seen where restorations and stuff of homes have caused spiritual activity to, 
I mean, ramp up like crazy. So why would it not on something like this where there's an apparent portal that has been opened and never closed? Yeah, and I mean, you know, it. What, what, yeah, who, what else would you expect? I mean, you know, it's it's Aleister Crowley's house. Right, you know? right. <laughs> I mean, you know, if anybody was going to own a house and turn it into a haunted house, it would be Aleister Crowley. No kidding. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, just such a polarizing individual. And, you know, I think most everybody has this, you know, idea, oh, he was some kind of weird, mystic, lunatic and everything. And, you know, maybe he was. But he was interesting enough that his philosophy and his ideas have have lasted for centuries. Well, not centuries, decades. Right. You know, I mean, we're we're talking about him here in 2019. You know, he... You know, Crowley passed away in 1947, and yet, you know, we're we're still bringing it up. His influence can still be seen, and so Adam and I just kind of wanted to give you guys uh, a a little bit better understanding of of who he was and what he did, and and why his teachings would endure for so long. Right, and why we always seem to talk about the guy. Like, seems like every yeah, episode we do, we talk up. about him. Yeah. And it's because he had his hands in so much. And, right, you know, like we said, the the teachings, for the most part, his Thelema teachings and all that, are not that wild. They're not so crazy that you've never heard it before or never uh, experienced something like that before. It's pretty... Right pretty much just an amalgamation of a bunch of different other religious beliefs and teachings. Now, some of the things he did outside of that, they did get a little wild and a little uh, wacky, but you know, his, his legitimate teachings kind of resonate with people more than I think most want to give them credit for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like we said at the top of the show, we we could have given you a biography of of Aleister Crowley, including you know the, he was a British spy. You know he 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 worked as a spy. I mean, it's you know, because that, he was invisible. It's because he was invisible. That's right. Can you imagine him showing up to work as a spy wearing a big red robe and a crown? Yeah, right. <laughs> you, Don't worry, nobody will see me. See me. Um, but yeah, he's such a such an interesting figure. Um, but we, you know, we wanted to focus more on, you know, what he was really all about, and 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 why you still hear his name even today. So, um, I tell you what, I I really enjoyed researching him. I I learned a lot more than than I already knew, and you know, I had, I had been I had been pestering Adam about doing a show on Crowley for quite some time. And uh, I remember the first time I ever heard of Aleister Crowley, it was in the Ozzy Osbourne song, Mr. Crowley. Yeah. What they done to your hair. It made me, it made me go and find out who he was. So I've always had a little bit of interest and, and I hope you guys enjoyed um, hearing more about, you know, 
Aleister Crowley's ideas and his philosophies and his theology and, and whatnot. Right. Um, and but, feel free you know, to go look more up about him. Uh, we'll put yeah, our sources in the show notes and you can find all the stuff that we left out about his biography if you're interested. Yeah, exactly. So um, let us know what you think. You know, is was Crowley somebody that was on your radar? Did you, you know, I'm sure some of you have stories about him that you've heard over the years. Um, we'd love to hear them and uh, tell us what you think. But uh, as always, um, be sure and go check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can listen to the show. You can find links to buy Graveyard Tales merchandise, find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. Uh, and you become a patron. And we appreciate uh, everyone who uh, continues to uh, donate to the show. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're all the time mentioning we're putting out Patreon content. And uh, we were just discussing it tonight about, you know, n- newer things that we can do to freshen it up a little bit. So uh, so hopefully we'll be we'll be looking at that in uh, in the upcoming year. Um, but check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and Twitter, just search Graveyard Tales, and please rate and review us on iTunes. It it helps bring us up the charts and makes us easier to find. So, uh, oh yeah, that's all I got, Adam. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Mm-hmm.